don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Economy podcast. And we are doing another quick read today, continuing with the BitTorrent Lessons for Crypto series. Again, uh, if you are just joining us, this one is by Simon Morris. It is a four-part series. This is part three that we are going over today. And uh, there aren't many announcements. I don't think I've noticed anything major happening today um, and uh, still doing quite a bit of things in the background, but not really any new development on that. I actually haven't had much time to work on it in the last day or two. So I guess we will just go right ahead and jump in. And this one is titled Intent, Complexity, and the Governance Paradox. So let's go ahead and give this one a read through, and we will discuss it a little bit at the end. All right, let's jump in. Following on from my post about why BitTorrent mattered and what decentralization is good for, I want to discuss three themes related to decentralized ecosystems which were all relevant to BitTorrent and are all relevant to many crypto projects. The Problem of Intent At the end of my post on what decentralization is good for, I argued the main justification for a decentralized architecture was its resistance to various forms of censorship, or, put a different way, an ability to break the rules without anyone being able to stop you. There may be useful projects that have nothing to do with rule-breaking, but if the gold in the gold rush is indeed rule-breaking, then without any rule-breaking, it won't much matter what sort of picks and shovels you're trying to sell. While it's tempting to focus on the actual rules being broken, we shouldn't forget about the person or company breaking the rules, and this introduces the thorny problem of intent. The uncomfortable thing about intent is that in the final analysis, the legal system has very little patience for defendants who set out to break laws. When looked at holistically, if an ecosystem enables wholesale lawbreaking and is built on technology explicitly designed to break those laws, at some point the enforcers are going to come looking for the authors to hold them accountable. By and large, BitTorrent Incorporated and BitTorrent's inventor Bram Cohen were able to skirt around the intent problem as it was clearly never Bram's intent to engineer a system to broker the type of rule-breaking that occurred. In fact, the popularity of BitTorrent was wholly accidental. On a parallel path, although Satoshi's Bitcoin white paper was pretty explicit in its intent to break rules, the anonymity of its authorship has prevented the possibility to hold a person or entity accountable for any rules that could have been broken. The approach of Ethereum is presumably more similar to that of BitTorrent. Do nothing to try to adapt it as a better way to break any specific set of rules and encourage good use cases as publicly as possible. Contrast this with the startups who are on the public record aiming to break rules with their uncensorable system once it is launched. 
For example, a certain well-funded project which commendably wants to break the terrible music, copyright, and royalty rules that make the DJ art form prohibitively expensive to publish online. But given they are on the record with this objective, it's hard now to see enforcement authorities looking kindly on them or their VC investors in the event that they succeed. So does this mean that you should simply not promote what you're doing? Or do so with a veil of anonymity so no one can join the dots? Or just get lucky and succeed by accident, like BitTorrent did? And what will we discover of the future legal liability of those who flagrantly break rules, even very unpopular ones, or those who have leading roles in a blockchain system that makes it possible? The cost of complexity. A second important theme for decentralized systems is a common lack of appreciation for just how complex these systems are and how finely balanced they need to be to operate correctly. I originally joined BitTorrent in 2007 to work on a decentralized CDN which aimed to do something like tie together all the unused storage and bandwidth on people's PCs into a content delivery network which had zero operating costs for us. In time, it proved there were a number of things wrong with this ambition, most of which I won't touch on here, although perhaps the most important one which we discovered the hard way was the cost of complexity. It was technically possible to cobble together some sort of CDN from underutilized PCs, but we were flat wrong that this represented a free resource that could be easily aggregated and sold. On one side, consumers had a strong perception that the bandwidth was theirs and not ours to resell, so to try to do so was costly in the form of goodwill with consumers. Even more damagingly, we discovered that our CDN needed to integrate well with a fast-growing and fast-evolving tech stack designed to manage and deliver media online. The advantages we offered in terms of cheaper prices for delivering bits were vastly overshadowed by the sort of concessions our prospective customers would have to make in re-architecting their content management systems. A value proposition of, quote, a bit cheaper but much more complex and much less flexible was ultimately not very appealing. We thought it was a strictly cheaper solution, but when framed holistically, it was anything but. Overall, it's hardly surprising at this point that the timelines for projects seem to keep getting pushed out as engineers are facing down the sheer difficulty of challenges they are faced by, many of which may not actually be solvable no matter how much money you throw at them. On one side, they must accommodate a fluid future and integrate with the predominant internet technology paradigm of, quote, launch MVP quickly and iterate. And on the other, they must get it absolutely positively right the very first time because of the third and final theme I'd like to discuss. The governance paradox. Each new decision is harder than the last. Governance, in this case, means the ability to make decisions efficiently and implement them quickly and effectively. Decision-making in a rule-breaking decentralized system is very hard. In fact, it's worse than that. Decentralized governance is perhaps something close to an oxymoron. In a decentralized system which can't be controlled, it is very hard to, um, control it. That's the point. You can't have it both ways. It turns out, vis BitTorrent, 
that you can indeed build and release a system such that when the man comes over to compel you to stop whatever it is that you've done that annoys him, you can actually say, uh, no, sorry, it can't be done. But you cannot then turn around and easily make changes and updates to that system. Coordination costs are high, and the time frame to get things done is extremely long. This, at least, is the experience of BitTorrent Incorporated and the BitTorrent ecosystem. Getting things done in a rule-breaking, decentralized system is hard for at least three reasons. 1. The status quo is a safe place. There are multiple stakeholders with often conflicting interests. The fact that a stable equilibrium between such groups has been found in the first place is perhaps extraordinary, but it is also something that all groups will tend to cling to. 2. Coordination is hard and costly, especially with many paranoid participants whose interests are not necessarily obvious to you. In the world of BitTorrent, this meant that changes to different parts of the BitTorrent protocol to introduce obvious win-win optimizations or attack mitigations took many months and sometimes were shelved completely. And three, major players are exposed. Even if you want to do something that you believe you can do and that will be popular with all stakeholders, you must consider an important additional stakeholder, the enforcer of the rules that have been broken. Considering the enforcer of the rules always has a chilling effect on all stakeholders. For many years, BitTorrent Incorporated constantly audited its own internal thought processes based on second-guessing how various enforcement authorities might react. While the BitTorrent ecosystem was decentralized and extremely hard to censor, BitTorrent Incorporated, one of the few participants with real potential influence, was highly visible and felt exposed to legal repercussions of any of its actions. For these reasons, it was frequently reluctant to even try to actively lead. These exact same themes are clearly playing out in the world of cryptocurrencies. Pre-launch, these projects are completely centralized, so they are blissfully immune to this issue and are able to make progress at speed. But post-launch, to the extent that projects are truly decentralized, clearly many only pretend to be, they are incredibly hard to govern. The difficulty of deciding what should happen next has caused progress to slow to a crawl and led to contentious standoffs and projects splintering. There are a number of crypto projects which are trying to address the governance issue with various approaches to enabling decision-making that is, quote, fair and effective for some definition of those terms. But in practice, the only way to make any large-scale governance viable is to re-centralize power in a smaller number of deciders with some number of rules around how you can become and remain a decider. This role of, quote, decider becomes more and more problematic the more successful an ecosystem gets at breaking rules and the less willing the deciders are to be held individually responsible. Established decentralized governance in the form of bodies like ICANN, the IETF, and W3C have long been slow, contentious, and prone to the undue influence of major participants. But I expect that governance of rule-breaking decentralized systems will present an even greater challenge as the result of the perceived liability even of participation and certainly of leadership.
I'm always curious to look at crypto projects to see how they handle the problem of intent. Do they talk about the rules they are trying to break? How well they understand the cost of complexity that their plans entail? And how they are addressing the governance paradox, where every decision is going to be harder than the last. My final post in this series is on who wins in the face of decentralized disruption. All right, now before we jump into the commentary for this excellent piece, let's go ahead and talk about the sponsor that is keeping this show alive. All right, and that closes out part three. Again, do not forget to head over to medium.com and drop some serious applause on part three of this article. And if you want to get a head start on tomorrow's episode, Part four is linked right at the bottom of the um, right at the bottom of the article, and of course you can just go to Simon Morris's main Medium page, and it's all right there. So, I felt like there was a lot in this article that seems to be very poorly understood in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Uh, so many of these projects, and I, I guess a lot of them really are just like incredibly centralized. Um, because they they either do foresee this problem and they just pretend it's not a problem, or they simply they they really quickly run into this problem and realize they've made a huge mistake. Um, and that's really around the fact that making changes is incredibly difficult and a very slow process. Um, I like the the whole kind of the whole governance paradox. And the three, the three core reasons um, that governance is such a difficult thing for a decentralized system. Uh, number one, the status quo is a safe place. The shelling point for the system's rules, um, where everyone can go to and know that, like, like, know that there's a safe place, is a really, really powerful a place to be, particularly when you're talking about money, particularly when you're talking about securing value, is migrating away from what is working is and making fundamental changes or consensus level changes to that is a deeply difficult thing to do. Um, and not to mention that like you have to get so many different parties to coordinate. The more decentralized and the more resistant, like resilient the system is, the harder that coordination is because by nature a decentralized system that is more resilient and decentralized is one that has more like various, like varying parties involved in it. Like, you know, like Bitcoin has nodes in practically every jurisdiction on the planet. And so coordination is incredibly difficult in that uh, scenario, which is why soft forks are so highly um, prioritized, I guess you could say. They're, the soft forks are considered the only real safe ways to upgrade the Bitcoin system and is why that in particular was such a huge battle because um, the nature of pretending you have that level of coordination by simply breaking it, breaking away from some subset of the community every time you want to do a hard fork or giving up the decentralization of the system by limiting 
the nodes and the miners and whoever it is to specifically a very visible and accessible group of people who are like centered around this project makes it like really destroys the security of that project. Essentially, in a way, the ability to quickly coordinate a group of people to uh, enforce a hard fork on the network that um, that essentially the users really cannot avoid, um, and uh, where, where the vast majority of that market pretty much has to follow, leads to problem number three: major players are exposed. It requires a BitTorrent Inc. or a some you know pseudo conglomerate of uh, these institutions and or businesses and developers and whatnot to uh, actually to, to essentially be relied on to make these changes and you know the users just are like you know they just keep checking back on when am I supposed to update um, and I think that comes with a giant trade-off of losing the very thing that makes it valuable um, like like you lose the ability to actually continue development and design in order to do the thing that makes it valuable, break the rules. Um, the more exposed those players are, uh, the less likely they are going to lean at all towards doing something like uh, creating a system that can break rules. It just becomes incredibly, it just opens up an incredible vulnerability that the, the rule enforcers are not going to ignore if uh, any kind of problem or challenge arises. And I think the other really major, I don't know, myth or um, just misunderstanding in the crypto space is the degree of complexity. Um, uh, as he said, like how finely balanced these systems need to be to operate correctly. And you have to realize it's one of those things like the the block size debate, you get to a point, all, all you have to do is reach a tipping point where the growth outweighs even just the tiniest bit the progress in the underlying network and the, like the growth in the resource costs is what I'm using an example here for the block size debate, is there are so many factors at play that you can reach a tipping point where there is no going back and you spend years fighting to try to prevent it, but there's no actual way to get there. There's no actual way to stop the shift from happening. Like when you get to, people always talk, it's like, oh, well, you know, four terabyte hard drives are really cheap now and bandwidth is super cheap for block size. But people don't talk, don't, you don't think about like, you know, I've gone on this over this numerous times, so probably don't need to rehash the whole thing. But you've got upload and download bandwidth. You've got to bridge blocks. You've got to upload and download a block across the network eight, nine, ten times to reach every peer to find consensus. Then it needs to be validated at each stage in between. It needs to be verified, which is a lot of computational work, particularly if those blocks are freaking huge. And the more, um, the more resource costs and the more hindrance there is to reaching consensus, the more people are just trusting that, okay, there's a hash on it, it's right, and they're no longer auditing. The, the more it seems stupid to run a full node, and you have something like Ethereum, which according to, uh, what is it, block, 
Is it Block Cipher? Man, I forgot who it was already. I'll try to link to it. Um, there's an article called Ethereum Woes uh, talking about how essentially there may very well be just one or two fully archival nodes on the Ethereum network, which is insane. That is not a decentralized system. And that's not, a, you're going to get to a point where if one of those systems crashes and goes down, they can't resync. You'll just never be able to know if the rules of the Ethereum network have changed. There's no verification, there's no validation in that at all. Um, and the Ethereum chain is just two, two terabytes. Like how quickly they reached that point where everybody's just like, ah, I'm just going to run a light client. This is a pain in the ass. And at the exact same time, you're also thinking about running full, like starting up full nodes. It's like, okay, we have 50,000 nodes on the network. Uh, we could spare losing 5,000 of them. But what happens when we lose another 1,000 and then another 5,000? And not even necessarily just because of, uh, for so many different reasons, you know, somebody has to shut down their computer and move and they try to boot it back up and there's a corruption in the database or a hard drive failure or something. How long does it take to start up a new node? And what happens when, when there's a 30 terabyte blockchain, which is not far off when you're looking at some of these systems. When you measure these block sizes, this is supposed to be a system that lasts a century or more. You know, like you, you got to build this for the long haul. You can't have you can't have half a megabyte on the wrong side of the trend. The trend needs to be we are adding nodes, we are adding decentralization to this system, and we are getting better at consensus, or it's just not going to work. If it's not continually getting better, then it's either stagnant or standing on the edge of slowly getting worse. And the second you cross that bridge, the second you take that step of, okay, everything's getting a little bit worse, Every single, every single year we go forward, there's a little, few, there's a little bit fewer nodes. There's a little bit more uh, reliance on you know, a handful of systems. Uh, sinking a node is just a little bit more a pain in the ass. 20, 30 years of compounding that problem, all of these compound. This is like, this is like a compounding interest except to the negative. As that gets worse and worse and worse, there's no, there's no way to fix it after you've reached a certain point. And that, that complexity, that balance, is an incredibly fragile thing. And so many people don't think that. They're making huge changes to these systems and just throwing out hard forks left and right and thinking this isn't going to cause problems. And they sh it should already be obvious that it is causing massive problems in a ton of these networks. I don't think Ethereum has any sustainability here. Ethereum is in a hell of a place right now, I think, with the, the lack of a fully archival node and the fact that they're just trying to scrape together to get light, like fast sync nodes from previous fast synced nodes. Like I think it'll be a process of they'll just have a rolling like half a year or year's worth of reliable data and like a... Um, uh, like a subset of the UTXOs. I know, I know it doesn't quite work exactly the same way, but that's just kind of the example of the, the current uh, balances and addresses. But you'll never actually, you won't really be able to prove that nothing has changed, that 
that the owners of those addresses and balances are really the owners of those addresses and balances because you can't check you can't check far enough back um and there's no there's no validation to the beginning of this thing you just got you know what a bunch of hashes um of data that you can't see uh so um i think that's i think that's incredibly i think that's a huge oversight for a ton of what i see in the crypto ecosystem that they do not appreciate how complex and balanced uh how delicately balanced these systems need to be um and i think it will spell their doom uh in three to five years time if they don't realize it and it may be it may be too late after you've launched mainnet and garnered a huge ba- a big enough base to make it difficult to make any changes um it may already you may have already passed the point of no return if you've got it wrong at the beginning like ethereum is a great example they're trying to add such insane complexity with sharding and dividing up the network like trying to achieve consensus across that there's a reason there's a, there's a reason that it is not um uh let's just say i would be my mind would be blown if they actually pull this off and ethereum is working and not just run by some company and um trickling out its last dying days in what 7 years time uh, i would be really really surprised to see ethereum last a decade but with that let's go ahead and close this guy here and uh thank you guys for joining me on this episode i hope you are still enjoying simon morris's uh excellent series on the lessons we can learn from bittorrent and apply to bitcoin and other decentralized crypto systems so uh we will be hitting and closing out this series with part four tomorrow so don't forget to join me then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on itunes or whatever uh podcast app you are using uh because i am going to keep pumping out a discussion and reads and interviews of all the best stuff going on in the bitcoin space and you don't want to miss it it's all right here at the crypto economy podcast Until next time, take it easy, guys.